0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Formula Scout podcast. My name is Bethany Waring, I'm joined by Ida Wood and we're going to be discussing um, something of a Saudi preview, something of what it means to be going back to Saudi. I'll say it straight now because I know not everybody is a big fan of this kind of thing but we will be going into politics. It's not something we can or should ignore, but I think it's perfectly acceptable if you just want to go listen to another podcast this week because it's not not everybody needs that stress, but it's something we do need to talk about uh, if we're going to be responsible journalist people because it's not it's not something that should be ignored. Uh, we'll start off by talking about something a little less political though, which is the Track changes which have taken place at at Saudi compared to last year, which uh, saw wins for Lee Page and Liam Lawson, neither of which are racing in the championship this year. So we're gonna get some first time winners at least. Uh, we got some track changes this this week, this compared to last year though. So Ida, John talk us through those and what they are and why they happened.
1: Yeah so the circuit itself is going to remain at the same length um, for the drivers but lap times might be a little different because they've changed some of the curbing to some people have described it as being smoother other people have used very different words to describe it so I'm not quite sure exactly the consensus of what the curb changes do they've moved back I think one or two barriers later in the lap and um, so if you do crash as kind of that Uh, extra half a second for the car to decelerate before it then hits a barrier and really decelerates and also they've changed the visibility of some corners as well because basically from the feedback of the drivers last two years is those were the issues that needed addressing most Um, and some drivers were quite vocal we actually had Max Verstappen today saying that uh, last year the track was you know quite dangerous in some areas but um, with the changes that might be a little different now
0: yeah, I think there's also the the preview said that there was a turn two and three have been squeezed. The S there they they said, and I just looked at the track map and it doesn't look like turn three really exists anymore. How different is this a track compared to Bahrain in terms of like uh tires? I think the tires were the major talking point in Bahrain. So is that something? Growers are going to be concerned
1: about, or is it just not crashing into the walls? Um, for F2, they've brought very different compounds because Bahrain's a really abrasive uh track surface and, and you have the addition of sand and dust as well. Whereas Jeddah, it's not a straight circuit, um, but it is like a a purpose-built very twisty and tight circuit which isn't used much for road traffic so uh, it doesn't need resurfacing as often and the track surface is very smooth in comparison which means if there's like a smoother contact patch between the tire and the track you're going to get more grip etc etc hence you can have such high speeds there um, so a big difference in that way bring in the super soft compound which they normally only use at um, street circuits and that's the softest and the grippiest of compounds they make as well so uh, really, really high speeds, basically, we're going to see here, but potentially the tyres could uh, be gone after a few laps. However, because, you know, you're always going to get safety cars in Jeddah, uh, there's a high chance that they will be able to make these tyres actually last quite long because of the disruption that is is near constant on this track. All right,
0: so we've talked a bit about dangers on track, but obviously last year there was a little bit of danger off track with a missile strike happening, a little bit too close to comfort for many of the drivers. They decided to go ahead and race despite this. Um, I I I feel like it. I I don't know the situation well enough to say if that that's unlikely to happen again. I I we've not had it in Formula E to my memory. So, uh, can you kind of just explain what happened if we even like what do we know happened and what have the drivers been expressing concerns about this because obviously there's a limited amount what they can say
1: yeah so everyone's expressed concerns about it but only the drivers are actually going to be limited in continuing to express public concerns if it's of a political nature um We're actually not allowed to go into details fully on what the response is from F1. um, But they have introduced like basically a safety system um, to the media. I'm not sure who else they sent it out to, but detailing, you know, like we've bulked up our security presence. uh, We've created um, like a system of things happen, then we, we guarantee your safety, that kind of stuff. And we now know who the belligerents in the strikes last year and various other violent events in Saudi Arabia over the last 12 months so that's kind of all been cleared up and we therefore if you know the threat and you know the scale of it you can then kind of preempt it and of course Saudis will try and stop any of those kinds of strikes happening again in fact they actually have like an anti-missile defense system thing going on that they've actually talked about and other people have picked up on but really it's more about the if there is an attack how do you keep the people on the ground safe? And and they've they've actually covered off that topic in detail to the people who are going to the Grand Prix. So so that's the important thing. Um, But yeah, the drivers, now they're kind of held by this political stance. Um, I'll reword that. They can't have a political stance without the, the FIA's permission. But in an event like this, it's so fast moving. If there is an attack or you feel there's security risk or because of the Saudi government's actions um there is a perceived threat of what is essentially a sports washing event for for the Saudi government taking place it becomes a target potentially and a driver is going to be reacting to that because it's happening live and also they're there but there's not the kind of time frame needed to go to the FIA ask for permission to say something and then say it so this is going to be the first proper test of their kind of human rights slash politics slash driver clampdown thing on on politics uh, within motorsport which um you know hopefully the event goes safely and there's no problems and we, we don't have to see how stringently they um you know they they set these rules but if there is some kind of threat and drivers do feel inclined to speak out, will the FIA punish them for doing so if they generally feel there's a risk and that risk is related basically to the political nature of this event?
0: For sure. And I guess there's one thing with F1 drivers, if they want to, like, if if Lewis Hamilton or not Sebastian Vell, or, though I guess he could now, or Max Verstappen were to say, this is wrong and we're not comfortable here, that's one thing they're already earning whatever much. But if if an F2 driver were to say, I'm not comfortable here, I don't feel safe, or or the opposite, I guess they could say this is all fantastic and I don't I in reality that's I, I'm guessing that's not the kind of political opinion they're going to be um trying to keep secret, but to try and keep them biased. How are F2 how are F2 drivers feeling about this? I don't know you, I don't know how much you can say about whether they're <laughs> happy about um, this or not. I don't they don't get to have an opinion about whether they're happy about it or not.
1: I know some drivers, particularly who were there last year um, did actually talk about the the strikes. Um, and Yuri Vip said F1 shouldn't be bullied into cancelling the events. Um, even though there was a nearby missile strike on Friday, which is quite a bold statement to make. And with him, you know, it doesn't... Because his seat at at that time was paid for by Red Bull. For him, there's no real, real loss if he misses a race, either individually or the whole paddock has to to miss a race. Whereas if you've uh, got sponsors in who are, you know, with you for 24 races, or even sponsors who are only in for the first four races, and then you're going to have another sponsor on the car uh, for later races you are absolutely bound to needing and wanting for the races to go ahead. So your sponsors get that exposure and therefore you get that money to actually keep on going racing. So the actual races going ahead is hugely important for the drivers and also for the teams because, you know, they, they've paid to be out there, etc. It's a huge cost to them. They're going to lose a lot of money if they go out and then they don't get to race. Um, drivers, I, a lot of them claim they don't like take notice of politics because obviously you know, the world they're in is already so consuming. But in reality, they, they do know the risks. You know, when you're trying to go to particularly when you go to a place like Saudi Arabia, you do have to do a decent amount of paperwork to get into the country. You you have to do a bit of research into, you know, uh, basically your your birth country's political status, their relations to Saudi Arabia to know what uh, visa or whatever you in. Uh, and once you're there, like tourist information, you'll un- you'll need to understand that there's a very different culture there, et cetera, et cetera. So the drivers can't feign like ignorance on this. They know that they're in a very different country, very different political standards. And, um, you know, they- they've got to understand that while they're in a position of being at an international event in the in the country, they're still technically representing Saudi Arabia for the weekend, which is a horrible thing. But a really good example of this is Cristiano Ronaldo, who plays for a Saudi football club. Within his contract, he supposedly has to attend the Squampery. But he's a puppet and tool used by the Saudi government to promote sport in the country, which is great. You know, they are investment and interest into motorsport there, but... Um, you know, even if there's a security risk to the drivers, they will want those drivers on track, they'll want those races to go ahead and that I think is where the cops would come in if drivers, even if they, you know, ignored the politics but then generally felt under threat and they didn't want to race and then, the, you know, the signals they're getting from the race organisers as well, we don't care if you're under threat, we want you to race that's when there's going to be a bit more dispute and that's when drive F2 drivers in particular would then get concerned if you're an F1 driver, you've got a bit more leeway to, to kind of voice those concerns earlier on um So that says a lot, and also you've got to be really very careful with your words. You're an obvious example. i mean If you say it wrong, a load of people can cost, cost you the drive. Like you need to be careful with what you say. So it, it's a it's it's a minefield, quite literally. <laughs> I guess
0: why we're talking about this though, like like you said, it's a um people if you if you rage against this this long you, you, the phrase keep politics out of sports kind of come across your mind. but the the point is that you can't keep politics out of sport when sport is being used for politics when it's when sports washing is occurring and um when when governments are using a sport to say Look how great we are! Look how great our country is! Look how accepting our con- accepted these organisations are of our country. Uh, it's not just Saudi Arabia that's done this. It's been going on for as long as sport and politics have been going on, um, and it's not the first time it's impacted F1. So I guess the question one of the questions is why do we care about it now when other tracks that are on the F1 calendar have had this problem for however long they've been on the calendar as well. So why are we talking about it now?
1: So with the Saudi race in particular, like um, lots of races, uh, or, or not necessarily races, but the circuits themselves and the construction of them is funded by oil money. That oil money tends to be government oil money. And there's an intrinsic connection between government and racetrack. Silverstone is a really good standout in that it's run by a racing club. It's you know it doesn't get government funding in the way that that other sporting institutions etc do. So it's actually very rare to see any kind of Grand Prix that isn't connected to a country's government. And you know most of these Grand Prix are named after the country, so you've always got that connection there. And the people on the podium are often. Uh, handing out the trophies are often, you know, senior figures either in culture, sport or politics. So you're presenting your country to the rest of the world using a Grand Prix. The thing with Saudi Arabia is um, I don't know if they commit more human rights offences than Britain does, because Britain certainly commits a lot. But Britain is not known primarily for its human rights violations, whereas uh, Saudi Arabia in recent years has been. Uh, So it is a case of using the event and using other sports to kind of improve your image clean it up make people notice other things whereas although britain's not the best example here because they don't have a grand prix that's government funded but maybe back in the day like the hungarian grand prix you know it was post soviet union times um i don't know if they're a far right government back in the day but that was a very political race that was proving that you could race beyond the iron curtain per se um but hungary wasn't known for being like a villainous dictatorship it was known as just being part of you know that eastern block of countries and um, so there's a very different line of what's actually sport washing and what's just um you know politically motivated reason to host a race and you know they even hosting the olympics hugely politically motivated um every single country that's ever wanted to host the Olympics has done so because it wants to improve its image on the international stage. Obviously, London 2012, they kind of said it's about legacy, but um, beyond, you know, the Olympic Stadium being turned into a West Ham's football ground, not too much of that infrastructure has trickled down into sports across the UK. Um, and you can't really see the gender Corniche circuit, you know, becoming the, the point of Saudi motorsport in general for the national scene. Um, so, yeah, that's why there's a big difference here. And also, why with a lot of circuits, you host a candidate event where you host Formula One if you do have aspirations of, of hosting Grand Prix. And particularly if you're not quite a permanent circuit in, in Jeddah's case, but a circuit that can, you know, operate more than one weekend a year. Jeddah was not given a candidate event, it was literally signed off and given an FIA grade one license minutes before the event officially begun. Um, It was Michael Massey at the time, his race director, literally going around observing corners and then signing off documentation saying, this track's fit to host Formula One, despite having never seen a car go round it at speed before. So the whole process of this race coming to being, its purpose for the government, how it has handled security and all these other aspects, make it a highly politicized event and therefore that's why we talk about it particularly in this case rather than other races where yes you might be going to a country with human rights violations or with um you know a dirty political picture even like america you know united states but the the race isn't intrinsically connected to those issues whereas uh, in saudi and particularly with Ramco as well now supplying the fuel for f2 and f3 all of this is very connected and f1 is part of the government's plans
0: For sure. I I also looked up some some stats because I wanted to become prepared. And uh, Fraser Institute has a human freedom index. Uh, Like you say, the UK has problems, America has problems. Um, The UK is ranked 14th, the US is ranked 15th, and Saudi is ranked 155th. Uh, In terms of personal freedom, it's 161st. L twelve hundred sixty five. So there is, for sure, problems in our country, and I think we need to accept and deal with those problems. But uh, I don't think saying you're not perfect is a good good reason to not talk about somebody else, especially something that's so dangerous for a lot of people. I mean. I don't I don't think I'd feel safe going there. I don't I don't want to go into two too personal reasons why, but also at the same time one of the things that's really dark is when people like me, and you and white journalists from the UK who may be LGBT plus or some other thing, go to go to Saudi go to countries that have LGBT plus human rights issues and we go there and say well I'm fine I was there a week and I had no problems whilst people who are there are saying well I I'm in prison and I've been in prison for most of my life for talking about these things so I think that's another thing that we as journalists need to be aware of when we go to when we go to these countries and report on things and report back. It's okay for me because we need to bear in mind that we're not there without tourists, rather than as as people who live there and there to show the world that everything's great. I don't know if you have anything to comment on about that. I just thought I'd thought I'd mention that
1: yeah yeah and like technically it's illegal for me to be in Saudi Arabia um so I can't go anyway but there's also a case of like um although you sometimes hear like tourists accidentally breaking basically local laws and not realizing and then huge huge um consequences that and then you have like um what they call those offices like diplomatic offices where people try and you know get their um Uh, embassies embassies so the embassies will try and get people out of trouble whereas on an event like this you might have drivers accidentally or maybe even intentionally uh, breaking local laws and customs getting into trouble doing behavior that'd be totally fine at home but not fine in Saudi but the government and the police aren't going to be as punishing on it as per usual a because you're a foreigner you're not going to understand all the local laws but b also because it's a massively bad look for everyone if they suddenly arrest, you know, someone involved in this event mid-weekend. So we definitely don't get the full picture when we go to these kinds of events that are held almost outside of the usual cultural sphere. Um, So, yeah, highly, highly difficult to to really understand what's happening in Saudi just by going to the Grand Prix. Yeah, I
0: I don't really know how to carry on from that, but we can't stop... Saudi Grand Prix happening and I think maybe a worldwide boycott would stop it happening but that's not going to happen all we can do is make sure that people that we're aware of what's happening and make sure that we don't just pretend it's not happening try not to cut too finely from that but we'll go back to racing for a moment (laughs) bit of a tight turn there into a new topic but what what are we going to make a prediction for this for this weekend in terms of who who do we think's looking good um right now it's a bit it might be a bit early to say we've not had any practice sessions but can we get a prediction
1: I would have said maybe but based on Bahrain kind of not following all of the predictions apart from Porsche being very fast um it'll be tricky and you know certain attributes and strengths such as for example tire management might not be as important as usual if we're going to have safety car field races so the onus might be on qualifying high at the order in both in both races as well and obviously it's a narrow track not the easiest to overtake on even though you've got those really long straights so my prediction basically be whoever's in the top four and qualifying will win and I can't really see anyone doing like a seventeenth to fifth place charge. I think if you have a bad qualifying, your weekend's over at that point.
0: Yeah, that, it, it it seems to be one of one of those races. In per, outside of F two, we've got some we've got some testing going on in Euro Open and Formula uh, Formula Regional Series. Um, but uh, and the only racing that seems to be going on is Formula Ford. So it's a is it going to be an f2 heavy heavy weekend for for us on the site anything else you want to you want to shout out
1: yeah so i've spent about 40 hours on this already i've gone through the careers of over 2100 drivers so far and i'm basically trying to find out who spent the longest in a second tier single seater series before winning a race ralph boshong's done it in like 96 starts Um, And I'm trying to see if anyone's done more than that Uh, race-wise. Julian Leao has done more races, but he never won. So he's not in contention. I need to find someone who has at least done 70 races and took at least 55 to to win to be considered in this. And I need to get it done by tonight because obviously we need to get this out before Jeddah. Uh, And I've got back from 2022, 23 to 1971. And I've done European F2 through to F2 now all of Indy Lights history, all of Super Formula history back when it was technically a second tier series, a bit of Auto GP, all of the Formula Renault 3.5 stuff when that was second tier. Um, Haven't done Atlantics, haven't done like Formula Holden or anything like that, but I've done British F2, a bit of South African F2 as well. So done a lot of series and got some really interesting names that I think people won't know of who actually I spent a very long time at the level below F1. Well, I look forward to that.
0: Hopefully it will be a bit of a morale boost for Boschon to say look how great these drivers were and they they had to wait too so and I guess we won't have to wait much longer for that because you're yeah, going through those series pretty fast I think that's it for today on the Warner Scout podcast tune in again next week for um probably a little bit hopefully a little bit less political because that that will mean that nothing dramatic happened politics wise during the weekend which is what we can always hope for and a bit more racing and a bit more of a look forward to um more racing that will hopefully soon be happening thanks for listening and tune in next time for another Formula Scout podcast adios